Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. This ministry desires to help people know and live for Christ through the preaching of God's Word. And now, today's message. Well, I hope you had a good week. I hope you didn't stay up too long on May the 4th watching Star Wars, as the 4th, I'm hoping, was with you. Hope you didn't have too much of a party on Cinco de Mayo, though that's not an actual Mexican holiday. That's more of an American thing. And I'm hoping that the Sith did not get too much revenge on you on May the 6th either. But that being said, it is good to see everybody this morning. Feels like it's been a while since I've had the opportunity to speak, but it's always good to have that chance. And it is also a great responsibility, and it's not something I can do on my own. So before I get into this message, I ask that you would pray with me one more time. Heavenly Father, I come before you, and as always, as you have placed me where you have placed me, and in this position, I recognize that I am nothing. I ask that if there is anything between you and I, that you would remove it. That you would remove it right now, Lord. That you would cleanse me. I pray that you would fill me to overflowing with your Holy Spirit. That you would take me over, Lord. Use me as your instrument to speak to your family, to your children. To your Ohana, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So I had a friend in junior high and high school, and if I know him well, Ken Harrison right now is actually thinking as he's watching and listening to this, you had a friend? Yes, I actually did have a friend in high school. Some of you understand that joke. Um, and this friend of mine, we'll, we'll call him Jimmy to protect the sad and socially awkward. And he liked this girl from junior high. And our sophomore year, this, this young lady, she was pretty, she was uh, somewhat popular, and needless to say, way out of his league. Um, she had been, she'd had this boyfriend since junior high. And for some reason, this young hulk of a man decided that he would break up with her shortly before Valentine's Day. I don't know whether he was trying to save money, what he was doing, it doesn't really matter that much. But my friend Jimmy decided this was the best time to express his feelings towards Ashley. And he had been saving money for a long time to buy, I don't know what, but he decided to go and get a dozen roses. He got this overstuffed pink bear. I don't know where in the world he got this thing. And he created a banner out of computer paper, if you remember the old dot matrix, most of you don't. And it said, Ashley, will you be my Valentine? And he stood, before class started, he stood out there for a long time. And he stood in the front entrance of our high school. And he sat out there, and as Ashley was coming, he held that banner up. 
I mean, he looked like John Cusack in Say Anything with the radio, and, but it was a banner, poorly made and sadly done. And he sat there and he had the roses and he had the teddy bear. She went straight up to him. She took the roses and the bear and went straight to the very nearest trash can and stuffed them into it and walked away. Ohana, God gives each and every person an invitation to accept Christ. But many people reject it. And in this story that we're talking about, it's in Matthew 22, and it's verses 1 through 14, in case you are wanting to know. And thank you very much to part of our Come and See ministry, who had been directed by Hannah herself. Thank you for, for all that hard work. So hopefully we'll have more of that to come in lieu of a scripture reading. Occasionally you're going to get a skit. So... The Jewish people are the ones that the king invited first. Now, I was directed this morning to make sure that this sermon did not stink. Maybe not necessarily in those words. But that being said, I, I want to give a shout out to him because this is the last time he's going to be physically present with us, that, at least for now. We all know that we kind of end up coming back to this place once we've been here once. You kind of come back twice, maybe three times. And fairly positive that Matt at some time will be the 25th Infantry Division chaplain. So it wasn't that long ago that Chaplain Runnels had talked to us about a Jewish wedding. It was during Easter. You might remember Easter Sunday, he was talking about that. And he gave us a wonderful description of that, and it was, was good. And I want to remind you a little bit of how that kind of goes. Now, we do have scriptural references that say that the young man, the groom, would typically choose his bride that's not always what happened. In fact, this scripture tells us that the king had chosen the bride. Now, that may sound a little archaic, but the idea of marrying for love is not that, has not been going on that long. Usually, there were other things that were at play. And I can imagine this said king sitting one day over by the playground and as the prince is playing and having a good time, you know, maybe he runs into a little girl and they start playing in the sandbox and the king kind of goes, hey, see how nicely they play. This is good. They're getting along. How much do you want for her? And a bargain is struck. The bride price is set. Of course, Matt had talked about how sometimes the groom says it's not enough. But what happens is when they come to a certain age, when it's an arranged marriage, they, they come and they say, okay, well, 
we're going to have the ceremony now. And the groom drinks from a cup of wine. And then it is presented to the bride. And she has two choices, to drink or not to drink. Typically with an arranged marriage, there's not a whole lot of choice there. Besides, she wasn't typically going to disobey her father. So she drinks. There's some vows that are, that are said. And then the groom goes to prepare a house adjacent to sometimes on the roof of his father's house, which sounds interesting. Can you imagine ladies living in the same house as your in-laws? That can be good or that can be bad. I don't know. I have, a gr I have great in-laws. My mother-in-law, many of you have met her. She's fantastic. I would not have any complaint with Shuggy coming to live with us. However, you know, she probably will see this later anyway, but if it were my mother, that's not something we're going to probably ever happen. But needless to say, this young man goes and he's building this house, and he's building it for roughly about a year. And finally the father will come and say, it's enough, go get your bride. In the middle of this year, the best man, the groom's best friend, has been the go-between between between them. He has been sending messages back and forth, and it is not uncommon for the best man to show up at the bride's house to tell her, well, this is what your future husband likes. This is what he enjoys. This is who he is. Because they're not really allowed to have a whole lot of contact. He's busy anyway. He has to build this house. And when the father says, it's enough, Go get your bride. There is a trumpet player that goes ahead and the trumpets are sounded. And so it may sound familiar. And he's going forth saying, the bridegroom is coming. The bridegroom is coming. And the bridegroom meets her on the road and with her attendants and they go to the house. When they get there, there is another ceremony. Typically, it's under a chupa, which represents their future house, which is already there. And then they go into the bridal chamber, if you know what I mean. Going back to our Song of Solomon series. We have our children in here, so we will be smart about it. After that time, they spend, some, they spend some time together and they come out and then the wedding feast begins. Brothers and sisters, this is not a two-hour reception. This is a week-long feast and celebration with wine, with food, with dancing. And it is a wonderful time that is had by all. Now, when we're talking about the dilemma that we have in this world, which is sin, there was a plan in place even before the foundations of this world were set. It was already known who the bridegroom was going to be. It was already known 
who the bride would be. The father, the king, had arranged this marriage well ahead of time. There was no doubt what that plan was going to be. And as we're looking at this, it was Abraham and his descendants. God had come to Abraham, and Abraham was chosen. The Bible tells us that the entire world would be blessed through Abraham. And that is because it would be Abraham's offspring, Abraham's seed, that would become the Messiah. Now, as we're getting down the line, as we're going through the time, we've got, get to Moses, and the Israelites have been in slavery to Egypt. They have been in bondage, as we are in bondage to sin. And God delivers them. And they come out of Egypt and they come eventually, after 40 years of wandering in the desert and many other things happening, they come into the promised land, which is also a picture of coming into heaven, us coming into that place, that perfect place. But unfortunately, Israel would rebel here and there. And we see that in the Exodus story. We see that happening repeatedly. And they would get to a point where they would say, oh, well, we're blessed. Look what we have done. And they would forget who had brought them there in the first place. And then God would have to send his prophet. No, I'm good, Siri. Thank you. He would send his prophet, he would send his messenger to remind them that it was God who had given them everything they had. That without him, they would still be stuck in bondage in Egypt. But yet, when the prophet would come, usually they would not pay any attention. And it was the next as we have the messengers were mistreated they would sometimes beat them Jesus gives us for instance that there was one prophet that was killed in front of the altar and typically they would be ignored it was for instance the prophet Micaiah who was called, interestingly enough, by Ahab. When Jehoshaphat was with Ahab and they were going to go to war against Syria, Jehoshaphat was a little bit smarter than Ahab, I would say. And he said, is there not a prophet of the Lord who can tell us whether we should go to war at all against Syria to begin with? And Ahab said, well, yeah, there's Micaiah, but... I don't like him. He never says anything nice about me. But Micaiah is called forward, and at first Micaiah is like, oh yes, O king, go forward, and you will have victory. 
I imagine it was kind of a little bit like that. And there were false prophets saying, no, king, you will be victorious. And there's this kind of tension between the false prophets and Micaiah and Ahab says, have I not told you to tell the truth? And Micaiah says, I see Israel as sheep scattered without a shepherd. And that if Ahab would return, God had not spoken through him. Ahab throws him in prison. What a wonderful reward for telling the truth and giving God's message to his people. But this is a bit of an example of what happens. And we can see in Isaiah that Isaiah talks about who Christ would be. Isaiah does not say that Jesus would come in all his glory to conquer the oppressors of Israel and set up an earthly kingdom right away. Isaiah says that the Christ, the Messiah, would be a man of sorrows, that it would be by his stripes, which is not a pretty picture, that we would be healed, that he would suffer for us. And yet that's not what Israel would cling to. Psalm 22 gives us a vivid picture of the crucifixion scene and what it would be like and describes things that unless there had been inspiration from God would not have been known ahead of time. And yet, these things were ignored. The Ninevites, this pagan city, listened to Jonah and yet... When the Messiah comes, just when it has been foretold by Daniel that he would come, he is ignored. He is not listened to yet again. Not only just a messenger from God, but, the, but God himself. And he is ignored himself. And what would happen when these prophets, when these messengers of the king were ignored? God would send an oppressor. God would send a nation. He would remove his protection. And they would feel the absence of that protection. Much like what happened in the Exodus story when the people were complaining. Oh, exactly, Sylvia, exactly. That's right. All we, we have to eat is this manna. We're tired of this manna. We, we're tired of being in the desert. We want to get out of here. And God said, oh, okay, you think that I'm neglecting you. And he withdrew his protection. Fiery serpents came in and started biting people. People were dying left and right. And what does God tell Moses to do? He tells him to cast a bronze serpent like the serpents that are striking them and to lift it on a pole. Folks, this would have been very familiar to them coming out of Egypt. That was pagan in symbology. And yet, God had him lifted on a pole and whoever looked at that snake 
would be healed. And we know that that was a picture of the Messiah, that the Messiah would take on our sins and die in our place. The spotless lamb. And it's not just the prophets that would be ignored, but also the apostles themselves. And Jesus told them that there would come a time when the very stones of the temple, not, not one would be left on top of the other. And that happened in 70 AD where the temple was destroyed. Those that were invited, though, as in my third point, they were not deserving. Jesus said that he came first to the lost sheep of Israel. They had been chosen. They were the ones whom the Messiah would come through. And God did bless them. But he was constantly going through this cycle as he would bless them, they would forget him. He would send his messengers. They wouldn't listen, so they, he would send the oppressors. And then they would go, oh, wait, what about God? And it would just rinse, cycle, and repeat. And they would call themselves the children of Abraham. But brothers and sisters... Abraham was not deserving. Abraham was a pagan from Ur, which is modern-day Iraq. And God called him not because he was something special, but because he saw Abraham's potential for faith, and Abraham had faith. It was the faith that he had in God that made him to be in the place that he was. Jacob was a deceiver, and yet God used him anyway. Moses had a temper, but God used him anyway. David was a sucker for a pretty face, and God used him anyway. The Jewish people felt entitled to salvation, but God is not a respecter of persons. He looks at our heart. There's no such thing as inheriting salvation just because of who your parents are. I'm sorry, Joshua, Chloe, and Noah, because your dad's a chaplain. You don't have an automatic ticket to heaven. I don't have an automatic ticket to heaven. I have to have my heart set on Christ. That is the only way to do it. We have to be first-generation Christians. We have to come to that realization first and be remade, be a new creation. But we know in the story... A very sad and disturbing part is the one that is caught coming in without wedding clothes. And 
it's interesting as I was looking at this. And Jesus gives us the meaning of the message, the meaning of this parable, when he says, many are called, few are chosen. Brothers and sisters, there are many scholars that would say that the time that we live in is much the church mirrors the church of Laodicea that Christ gave a message to in Revelation 3. And Jesus said that they were blind, they were poor, they were wretched, they were naked. The interesting thing about Laodicea was they were a very important port city. And Laodicea was a very rich city. And they were looking at the blessings that God had given them and saying, look, we are blessed by God. Therefore, we're good. And yet they sat on the fence. Jesus says they were neither cold nor hot, but lukewarm and that he would spew them or vomit them out of his mouth. The chief priests and elders that Jesus is talking to were sitting on the fence. They found their positions to be too important, to be too valuable, to be looking for the Messiah that they should have known was going to be coming in the first place. And as he's sitting in the temple, admonishing them, speaking to them, I'm sure with tears in his voice and tears in his eyes, they're not listening. Their position is too important. They valued their position in society more than they valued standing for God. Which, for leaders of a religious nation, is not a good place to be, as we see in history. They were relying on their heritage, their perceived righteousness, and their blessings. Brothers and sisters, that's not going to get us home. See, there may be somebody in here that says, well, chaplain, you don't know what I've done. You don't know who I am. You don't know the things that I have done myself. Brother, sister, God doesn't care about any of that. That doesn't matter. No matter what you've done, you could, have been, you could be the most horrendous person in history. And God still loves you. God still wants you. God is waiting for you like he waited for the prodigal son. He doesn't care what you've done in the past. He just wants you to put that behind you. Give it over to him. Repent. And come back home what he wants on the other side of the coin brothers and sisters I don't care how many times you've gone to fed the poor feed the poor you could have cast demons out on a daily basis in the name of Jesus if you are hanging your salvation on your righteousness not going to get you home. 
We cannot make up for the sins in our lives. Isaiah tells us that our righteousness is as filthy rags. And it doesn't matter because we're like, if that's what we're thinking, much like these chief priests and elders, we're showing up to the wedding feast and we're not wearing our wedding clothes. The wedding clothes, the, the robe the, of righteousness of the saints is what we had in our scripture reading, in our skit. You know whose righteousness that actually is? It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. It is his sinless life that replaces ours only when we are willing to bend our knee, repent, and accept him as Lord in our lives. We have to have that relationship. You couldn't buy things in biblical times without having a relationship with that person. We have to have that relationship with Christ in order to receive that robe. And then, and only then, will the king see us wearing our wedding clothes. And we will be accepted into that kingdom. We will be accepted into that heavenly rest a place where we will not get tired, we will not grow weary, but be able to mount up on wings like eagles. We will not have pain. Some of you brothers know what I'm talking about in here. When you're waking up to get to PT in the morning, you're like, oh, I don't know if I can do this again. Knees, my back, everything's cracking. No more pain. No more sorrow. No more death. That's what we are looking forward to, Ohana. God has clearly invited us, not only to a wedding feast, but to join his family. He loves us and wants us to be with him. No matter who we are and what we've done, if you are here this morning and you haven't accepted the invitation for Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, I urge you to do this not tomorrow. Not next week, today, right now. Let us leave this place as one Ohana and take God's invitation to the streets. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your invitation. We thank you that we don't have to be good enough to come to you. We thank you that we can have this relationship with you. We can repent and receive the righteousness of Christ today.